Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can shop any of ABC's 125 Florida stores and get curbside service through abcfws.com. Welcome to the Florida Roundup. Thanks for listening. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. Well, this week, U.S. Representative Charlie Crist won the Democratic primary for Florida governor in a landslide, trouncing Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed in Tuesday's primary election. So now it's an 11-week sprint to Election Day and a big confrontation with incumbent Governor Ron DeSantis. This is being watched across the country. So far, Christ is off and running, pulling in more than $1 million in donations in the first 24 hours after his victory. But he'll need a lot more days like that to be competitive financially against his opponent. DeSantis has amassed a $100 million campaign war chest and is favored to win re-election in a state where registered Republicans now outnumber Democrats for the first time in modern times. Appearing this week on Fox News, DeSantis dismissed the challenge from Charlie Crist and said he's confident his record will be a winning one with Florida voters this fall. He cited everything from his pandemic response to efforts to get conservatives elected to Florida school boards. And he noted Crist's recent comment that he doesn't want the votes of diehard DeSantis supporters. This is his fifth decade running for office. He's a chameleon, typical career politician. But you know, Tucker, people support me because I kept the state open and protected their jobs. Charlie Crist wanted it locked down. So that's not hate in their heart. They're just appreciative that they had a governor who was standing up for them. Parents around the state support me uh, because we made sure schools were open and we're working to make sure they get education, not indoctrination. That's not hate in their heart. They're just appreciative that they have a governor that's fighting for them. I think he is not one to be cast in stones. And how contemptible it is when he says he claims that he wants to unify Florida. He says he wants a Florida for all. And then you (laughs) condemn a majority of the people in the state of Florida. Give me a break. And the thing about what I've done is, you know, we've done issues that people uh, across the spectrum have been able to agree with. And that's really what it's all about. It's not hating the other side. It's trying to have policies that a majority can agree with. We're talking about the Florida governor's race here on the Florida Roundup live across the state. Get on the line now. It's 305-995-1800. A little later, we'll get to your calls and your tweets. Let us know your thoughts at Florida Roundup. Already getting lots of them on Twitter. That's coming up. But first, can Charlie Crist make it a race? He says he's banking on the goodwill and familiarity he's built up with voters of both parties around the state and NPA voters over decades in public life. Crist has held a variety of offices, including the governor's mansion. He's had a political evolution, too. He's a former Republican who became an independent, then a Democrat. Chris says he's the last best chance to stop DeSantis from seeking the White House in 2024. And he believes he can win many Republican votes in a state, he claims, where some voters have been turned off by what he calls the governor's extreme agenda. He even calls it undemocratic. Now, Christ is expected to campaign hard on the abortion issue and reproductive rights, but he'll also call out the governor on the campaign trail on efforts to restrict voting, the parental rights and education push that critics have dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill. And he will try to cast Ron DeSantis as an existential threat to democracy itself. Will that be successful? I spoke with Charlie Christ earlier today about his campaign for Florida governor. Here's that conversation. Charlie Christ, good to have you back on the Florida Roundup. You rolled in the primary over Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed. Now, though, as we turn to November, you are regarded as the underdog to unseat incumbent Governor Ron DeSantis. But you've been putting out a lot of confident messaging saying you believe you can beat him. What's your message to voters who see uh, the governor's re-election as inevitable? It's not. <laughs> it's not. I mean, nothing's inevitable, um, you know, except death and taxes, like they say. But, mm. you know, I, I really believe that, you know, most Floridians are good, decent people. And 
I think that the governor has shown that he treats women with disdain, not, you know, honoring their right to choose, that um, African-American vote voters that, uh, you know, will have less drop boxes in minority communities throughout the state because of his legislation, uh, you know, are not happy. And, you know, I just think that when you try to do more for public education, pay our teachers better. I mean, Melissa, we're the third largest state in America, right? And we pay our teachers out of 50 states. We're 48th or 49th. I mean, that's embarrassing. So you don't you don't think the governor's uh, raise in teacher pay was enough? No, there wasn't one. He gave a bonus to new teachers and a little raise to new teachers, but not to veteran teachers. And it's like, you know, he's like the great, you know, discriminator. And I mean, these people are professionals. They deserve to be paid a decent wage and to be at the bottom of what, you know, the country is paying teachers is, is not a decent wage. They deserve more respect. Women deserve more respect to be able to make their own decisions about their own body and their own health care. And I've already stated on the first day of the Chris administration, I will sign an executive order protecting a woman's right to choose in all 67 counties of Florida. Full stop. I mean, it's just that important. It really is. You know, when you look at the polling on abortion in Florida, bipartisan majorities in this state don't want to see any further restrictions on abortion. Uh, The governor and the legislature have limited the procedure to 15 weeks. Uh, They've hinted at possibly uh, looking at an outright ban on the procedure in the future. In the past, you have said you were a pro-life candidate. Can you talk about how you plan to campaign on this issue and whether you think uh, it will be a winning message in this state? Uh, It is trending red, but on abortion, voters are in Florida still in favor of access. They are. Well, it's not unlike Kansas a few weeks ago. I mean, an overwhelming vote in Kansas, (laughs) you know, to protect a woman's right to choose. And you know, Kansas is almost like Mississippi or Alabama in the deep red. And yet they had that kind of vote, which I think was the canary in the coal mine, as they say, and a real signal to the country that women are not going to be taken advantage of on this thing and going to fight back. And we're taking the fight uh, to Florida because the bill Governor DeSantis signed, the 15-week bill you referenced, you're correct about that, of course, but there's more. There's no exception for rape or incest. It's barbaric. It really is. I mean, how does somebody, this is 2022, not 1932. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, taking away their right to choose is just awful, I think. Awful. Disrespectful. What will you say to the governor and his surrogates who will accuse you of flip-flopping on the abortion issue over the years? Well, I'll tell them they're wrong. (laughs) I mean, I'm the only person in this race who actually, as governor of Florida previously, has already vetoed an anti-abortion bill. There's that. And the six years almost that I've served in Congress, I got 100% rating from Planned Parenthood and NARAL because of my voting record on choice. Always pro-women. And even as a young state senator, as a Republican, on the health care committee in the state senate here in Florida, I voted against an anti-abortion bill, killing it in committee on a 3-3 tie, so it never got to the Senate floor. So my record's crystal clear, and I'll put it up against his every day and twice on Sunday. That will certainly be an issue in this race. You have also uh, said you're targeting Governor DeSantis as an obstacle to democracy. Your message Mm -hmm. is that this is... Democrats' last chance to stop the governor, who is widely presumed to have presidential ambitions. But at the same time, you have also said that you don't want the votes of the governor's supporters. How how can you win in Florida if you don't get at least a few voters to cross the aisle for you? Well, like I said before, I, I'm confident we will. I mean, I have a Republican come up to me every day that says, you know, aren't you Charlie Chris? I'll say, yeah. And they said, well, look, I want you to know something. I'm a Republican and I'm voting for you. So there's plenty of good Republicans out there and I'll be honored to have their vote. If somebody's a staunch DeSantis supporter, the odds of me getting that vote 
probably slim and none. So I've only got so much time. There's only 71 days until this election, November 8th. And I've got to focus on people that, um, you know, are more open-minded, reasonable Republicans, uh, of course, Democrats and independents, uh, essential. And that coalition wins. And that's how I'm going to beat them. The independent vote is critical in Florida. What's your message to no party affiliated voters who, uh, you know, they they typically aren't fans of either party. They tend to lean Republican, but not always. What are the biggest issues you're hearing about from that voter block, which is sizable in Florida? Of course. Well, Roe, you know, that's an issue with independent women and Republican women and Democratic women, but also among independents, affordability. I mean, Florida you're probably doing okay if you're a millionaire or a billionaire. Most of us aren't, though, Melissa, you know. And so middle-income folks, working folks, are struggling, um, having to work two or three jobs just to make ends meet. I mean, real estate in, in the Sunshine State is out of reach for most people. Try to buy a home or even rent an apartment. It's difficult because uh, it's skyrocketing. I mean, as a member of Congress, I had an apartment in Washington, D.C., a one-bedroom, just like my one-bedroom in downtown St. Pete. Uh, that I rented. Guess which one was more expensive? The one in Florida? Mm. I mean, it's, it's shocking what's happening here. And Forbes magazine rated Florida the most expensive state to live in, more than California, more than New York. And we deserve a governor who's going to have a special session on property insurance, which DeSantis did. Well, it was special, all right, for the insurance companies, not mm. for the consumers of the state. And I did the same thing as governor before, held a special session on property insurance. And what was Charlie Christopher's? We lowered rates 10%. That's what the people need. That's what they deserve. Not to get it, you know, taken to them by large insurance companies that are abusing them. They need somebody who will be their voice in the governor's mansion. And I will be their voice. What else would you do if you were elected governor? What what would be your other top priorities for Florida? Well, democracy, we touched on that. And you know, making sure it's easier to vote in Florida, not harder, as it is under DeSantis. In fact, I, I think we ought to have Election Day in Florida be a, a statewide holiday. I mean, because, again, for working people, it's difficult, you know. And thank goodness we have early voting and, and some form of mail-in voting. But we have to make it as easy as possible. Uh, you know, more progressive states like Minnesota, you know, and, and others, you know, you can almost register the day you vote. And we should make it easier, not harder. I'm pro-democracy. He's against it. You mentioned uh, you mentioned property insurance rates. Uh, what about housing affordability in general? The cost of living in general? Uh, just pocketbook issues. What could what could you as governor do to make this state more affordable overall for people? Because as you mentioned, Florida has become a pretty expensive place. Yeah. Well, let's talk about housing, because that's really the tip of the spear on affordability. So in the state budget, there's a trust fund for housing exclusively. It's called the Sadowski Fund, and the governor's rated it, you know, almost wiped it out. And so I would restore it, number one. It's hundreds of millions of dollars that would be available to Floridians to keep a roof over their head. Uh, So that's number one. Number two, I would work with our friends at the federal level in the Biden administration the Secretary of HUD, for example, uh, Marsha Fudge, is a former colleague of mine in the House of Representatives. I know her. She's a good person. I would invite her down to Florida, you know, show her what's going on. She's been here. She was here about a month ago. So she's got a good sense of what's going on. And ask for their help. Um, you know, I think the Biden administration is eager to do those kinds of things. But we have a governor right now that bashes the president every day. And that's not how you uh, work with people. Uh, and get their assistance. I'll be a uniter, not a divider, as he is, for the benefit of the people of my state. Uh, they deserve it. I mean, it's why, you know, as a Republican governor before, I worked with President Obama to get us out of the Great Recession. Uh, you know, it meant $12 billion to Florida, saving the jobs of 20,000 teachers, keeping law enforcement on the watch, keeping firefighters uh, in their jobs so that we protected our communities. And even then, in the Great Recession, you know, they talk about DeSantis has a 50% approval rating. You know what mine was? 72%. Because I was willing to work with people, work across the aisle to do what is right for my boss, the people of Florida. Mm. And I have that focus. 
It's what they deserve in a public servant who will serve with a servant's heart. And that's how I've always tried to comport myself and certainly will as the next governor of this great state. Now, you mentioned former President Obama uh, back uh, over 10 years ago. You were attacked when you were photographed hugging Obama uh, when he came here to pitch an economic stimulus plan. That affected your political fortunes at the time. You're no longer a Republican who was hugging a Democrat. You're now a Democrat. And you have campaigned on bringing back that spirit of bipartisanship and what you say, uh, uh, what you call having a heart in the governor's office. Is that is that possible in this time that we're living in, Charlie Crist, where people have become so tribalized and uh, people view the opposite parties not just wrong, but as somehow evil or uh, somehow un-American and somehow dangerous to the future of the country? How can someone like you, who comes from a different uh, political sensibility, how can you address that in this state? Because we've certainly seen it in Florida, as we have everywhere else. Yeah. Well, I think you lead by example, number one. And I always try to comport myself as a gentleman and, you know, willing to listen, uh, willing to uh, work with others, have everybody have a seat at the table. Uh, and I think it starts in that fashion, Melissa, I really do. And But you've got to act on it, too. I mean, going back to the Obama example, all in my office a week before he came to Fort Myers for that infamous hug, and my staff came into my office and said, the White House has just called. This is February of 2009. Um, the president's going to be in Fort Myers next week and would like you to greet him if you're willing. And I said, sure. And my staff says to me, Governor, are you sure? And I said, yeah, why do you ask? They said, well, you know he's a Democrat. And I said, he is the president of the United States of America, and he is coming here to help us get out of this economic disaster we're in, I'm going <laughs> with bells on. <laughs> and so I went, and when I got there, he asked if I would be willing to introduce him, and I said, sure, that would be a great honor. And he said, well, thank you for being here today. You're going to take a lot of grief for this. I said, oh, I don't know about that. He goes, Charlie, yes, you are. You're going to take a lot of grief, and I appreciate it, and that's why I'm grateful. I said, well, I'm honored to be here, sir. And he said, well, if you introduce me, that'd be wonderful. I said, okay. So he said, let's just keep it simple. Um, you know, just go up to the lectern, the podium, say whatever's on your heart about me or the, you know, Recovery Act, and um, I'll do my thing, and that'll be it. I said, sounds great. So um, I went to the podium, gave what I thought was a proper introduction for a president, and concluded by saying, please give a warm Florida welcome for President Barack Obama. Place goes crazy. He comes up to the podium, shakes my hand, and then we embraced. And somebody took a picture of it, as you said, and mm. that was kind of it. And um, at any rate, so I'm a very proud Florida Democrat. I really am. And never been more comfortable, you know, politically uh, as a result of that. Um, because we're just trying to do good things for people and help people and do what's right and be respectful of others. That was Charlie Crist. We also reached out to the governor's office to invite him on the program, but we're told they could not accommodate our request at this time. A quick break here on the Florida Roundup. Get on the line now, 305-995-1800. Let us know your thoughts about the November election. When we come back, we welcome political strategist Ryan Wiggins as we talk about DeSantis versus Christ. Also, a heavily redacted affidavit has been released into that raid on Mar-a-Lago. That's next, here on the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. The Times Union Local IQ says, ready to grow your business? With the Learning Hub, you'll learn how local marketing can help your business reach the right audience. No tests or software required. LocalIQ.com slash lab for more info. Feeding Northeast Florida is raising awareness during Hunger Action Month about the silent crisis of hunger in our region. You can help in the fight against hunger at feedingnefl.org slash hungeractionmonth. Taxes, the environment, energy, education, health care, a state that's gaining nearly a thousand new residents every day and the ongoing quest for resources to meet that growing need. 
These are critical issues that affect everyone in Florida, and they're just some of the issues we follow every week on Capital Report. It's your direct connection to what's going on in Tallahassee and what it means to you. Tonight at 6.30 on WGCT News 89.9. Join WJCT and the Community Foundation for an evening with NPR's Michelle Martin. Weekend host of All Things Considered, Michelle will join WJCT's president and CEO, David McGowan, for a dynamic, thought-provoking conversation. Tuesday, September 13th, 6 p.m. at the WJCT studios. For tickets and additional information, go to wjct.org slash events. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, Florida family-owned and operated since 1936, and a proud supporter of public radio. ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, always be celebrating. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. Thanks for listening. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. In a moment, details on a heavily redacted document looking at the FBI search of former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. But first, your calls about the governor's race. Let's go to Jimmy in Avon Park, Florida. Hey, Jimmy, thanks for holding. Go ahead. Thank you, Florida Roundup. Thank you, <laughs> Thanks Chris. for calling. Uh, our next so, best, our next best hope for democracy and unity in Florida is Charlie Crist, and after they lock up Donald Trump, lock him up. DeSantis is the next one. Oh uh, well, we yeah, he's a uh, wannabe uh, Trump. Well, we uh, let's be clear. Uh, Governor DeSantis has broken no laws. Oh, but we will uh, we will get to the affidavit about Mar-a-Lago in a minute. And I appreciate your call, Jimmy. Let's go to Elise in Tallahassee. Elise. Yes. Hi. Um, I just wanted to note some additional issues in addition to what Governor. I mean, in addition to what Charlie Chris mentioned as far as being issues in our state. Everything he mentioned is very important, and the threat to democracy is probably number one in my book. However, I think it's real important that, as he said, that the Democratic Party needs to pull everybody in who doesn't want to live under what we see happening and what we see coming, which is not democracy. And I also think that he needs to really hammer home where DeSantis has failed. Um, You know, we had, our state had one of the highest death rates during the COVID pandemic. Um, but what I, what I really wanted to make a point of, and I haven't heard anyone really mention this, is all of the um, insurance companies that are pulling out of Florida right now. My homeowner's insurance has been canceled. My neighbor's was just canceled. And I think, I, I don't know the statistics, but they're, they're enormous. And we have an impending disaster, if not one, really, if we're not too far gone already. And I haven't heard Governor DeSantis mention it once. Elise, thanks for your thoughts. Those issues are sure to come up in the campaign. Also, how will abortion politics affect the midterms this November? Yesterday, Florida Senator Marco Rubio told CBS News Miami that he personally opposes abortion in all cases, including rape and incest. I do not believe that the dignity and the worth of human life is tied to the circumstances of their conception, but I recognize that that's not a majority position. I I just want to be clear, because it sounded like what you just said is your position, if it could pass, if if you had the numbers in the Senate and the House to do this, you would support a bill that would protect life in all forms, no matter how it was conceived, even in cases of rape and incest. The only reason that you support exceptions is because there are, you don't have the numbers to, to do Jim, it what right I've now. said to you is very clear. I believe that human life is worthy of protection, irrespective of the, however, and these are horrifying circumstances that you're describing, and they're rare, thank God. They happen, they're rare. And so my whole point is, I believe that to be consistent on this issue, I believe that we should be protecting innocent human life from the moment of conception to the moment of birth, and that our law should reflect that. Rubio's opponent, Central Florida member of Congress Val Demings, tweeted out this response saying on Twitter, Marco Rubio is obsessed with taking away our freedoms. Losing the right to choose means women's lives are at risk. Doctors could be thrown in jail. 
and victims of rape and incest forced to carry the seed of their rapist. We will retire Rubio and protect the right to choose, she said. We're discussing abortion politics on the Florida Roundup, 305-995-1800. Tweet us at Florida Roundup. Political strategist Ryan Wiggins of The Lincoln Project joins us now with more about how the end of Roe versus Wade is impacting our elections and some other thoughts on Florida politics. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Melissa. Thanks for having me on. Good to have you. So we see Val Demings, a former police chief out of Orlando, member of Congress, currently out polling and even out fundraising Marco Rubio. Can she wedge this abortion issue successfully in this Senate race? You know, I think it is less about the abortion issue because you have to understand, too, that, you know, there are people she's got to get the moderates. OK, and some of the moderates may be more pro-life. Some of them may be pro-choice. But the bigger point is this is government interference in the lives of the people in ways that are is completely inappropriate. And I think that, you know, what what we saw in Kansas, right, Kansas, it doesn't get better than Kansas. And what we saw in Kansas is that some of the moderates, some of the more libertarians took this this as an opportunity to say, you know, we don't want big government. We have never wanted big government and true conservatives don't. And so when government is trying to get involved in your personal life and it's trying to make personal decisions for you and it's trying to decide, you know, the kinds of conversations that you can have with your doctors and your right to privacy in those conversations, that's a problem. And it's a problem for a lot of Americans. It's a problem for a lot of Floridians. I think you see, you know, Marco yesterday with um, with his, his comments. I think what you see there truly is Marco Rubio grasping at straws, trying trying to rally his base because he's not popular with his own base right now. His own base is is very Trump. And Marco stood against Trump before he stood for Trump. And people don't forget that. They don't forget the flip-flop. So he's trying to change the conversation so that he can re-rally his base. But what he is missing is that a big chunk of his base that he needs is more on the moderate side. And they don't they don't like this kind of politics. Is this an issue, though, that will really drive voters to the polls in November or do you think people will be more motivated on the kinds of pocketbook issues that we heard some of our callers a few minutes ago touch on? Uh, we certainly are going to see Charlie Chris campaigning heavily on a woman's right to choose Val Demings, too. Uh, oh, I when think you look that, at the polling, I mean, you know, it's not a decisive issue for voters, but it is one of many issues. That is exactly right. It's one of many issues, but it is one that is driving out suburban women. I mean, I will tell you. It's very interesting, you know, the dog caught the car. So what do you do when you get what you have been campaigning off of for a long time? For some, for some Republicans, this is going to be lead to some apathy, some voter apathy, because you're going to see this, they were one issue voters, this was the issue. It's not an issue anymore, so why do they need to be there? Um, and then for others, like I said, they, they may have thought, you know, I may not, you know, support abortion, but I think this went too far. and. I, this sets a dangerous precedent. So I do think that there is messaging here that, that will be effective going into the midterms. I think there's messaging here that will be effective going into 2024. I think that we may have seen some of that down in um, Tampa Bay where Kelly Stargell just lost to Laurel Lee. And Kelly Stargell was the sponsor of the 15-week law this year. So, I mean, it's hard to tell to say if that was if that was the reason that she that she fell to Laurel, but it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I mean, throughout the state, you saw some things that would lead to a belief that maybe the Dobbs ruling is having a bigger play in the midterms mm-hmm. than the Republicans had bargained for. Let's listen now quickly to Kelly Flynn. She owns A Woman's Choice in Jacksonville, uh, an abortion clinic. She's filing a complaint with the FBI after nearly 200 anti-abortion protesters swamped the clinic earlier this week. Even even the staff and the physicians, along with the patients, had a really difficult time trying to get into the parking lot. Um, they were blocking uh, the entrance into university. There was um, even another fire truck that was blocking um, the entrance off of Bennett. Um, so this was a direct violation, um, as you mentioned, of the FACE Act, um, as we see it. Although there was JSO present, um, there wasn't a whole lot of movement in terms of directing traffic, as they mentioned, um, as our, one of our physicians that was arriving that morning had to lay on the horn for a good period of time before anyone recognized it so he could get in to, uh, to park. 
Ryan Wiggins, you know, Florida is a receiving state for uh, pregnant persons, women seeking abortions. They come from the south, all over the southeast where access to the procedure is getting increasingly limited. It has been limited here to 15 weeks of pregnancy. The governor, some lawmakers have said they might do a special session next year and push for an outright ban on abortion in Florida. That would be a political bombshell here in a state where the majority of Floridians really favor maintaining access to the procedure. Can Charlie Chris successfully communicate that in his campaign uh, to uh, make people realize what's at stake here? Well, I will tell you, I think that Charlie absolutely can. Um, I got my start in Florida politics working in his press office when he was governor the first time. And Charlie is really, really great at messaging. He he understands how to talk to people. And that's why he was popular. That's why you see that he won his primary. He's very good in that space. Um, I think that I think that he absolutely can communicate this. But like I said, the, it's a trap to some degree because Republicans do want us talking about abortion. They do want they do want that out there. They they want those conversations because it's polarizing. And that's why you're seeing all these culture wars come up. They're wanting they're wanting you to pick a side. And so the side that needs to be picked is, you know, got smaller government, more private, more pri- private citizens are private citizens and our lives are private. You know, the go- we have not asked for the government's intervention here. We do not need the government's intervention here. And um, it's, it's being seen as an overstep. So I think the more he leans on that kind of messaging, the more he leans on, you know, we need to stop a government from, you know, being in your bedroom and being in, in your life decisions, the more likely he will be able to rally moderates and, and evangelicals who are getting really tired of, of the nastiness and the culture wars, too. It's 305-995-1800 here on the Florida Roundup as we speak with political strategist Ryan Wiggins of the Lincoln Project. Dan in West Palm Beach. Hi, Dan. Go ahead. Yes, hello. I just wanted to say uh, I, I wanted to comment on Charlie Chris. Can I, can I say something or not? Yeah, go right ahead. I just wanted to say that uh, I'm a progressive uh, New Deal Democrat. I supported uh, Nikki. Now I'm supporting uh, Charlie, and I'm also urging, I guess, all other progressive Democrats to do the same and not just vote for Charlie Crist, but go out there and, and do a phone banking, do some uh, leafleting, anything that, that other than just voting if they want to make sure that uh, Satan doesn't get reelected. I can I can tell by your rhetoric you don't like the governor. Uh, thank you for your call. This is the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Ryan Wiggins, uh, that's a call from a, a committed Democrat trying to rally other Democrats. But let's talk about the governor's chances. He is favored to win re-election. He has a massive campaign war chest, and he has a strong voter base who likes the more conservative tack. He's taken the state over the last four years. What are your thoughts about that? I think that there is a lot to unpack there. I do think that that um, Charlie Crist has an uphill battle against Ron DeSantis. I think that that's an honest take. I think that there are a lot of people who have died of COVID in the time that the governor has been the governor. And then there are a lot of people who have moved to the state that are more right-leaning because we stayed open during COVID, um, regardless of what the advice coming out of the CDC was. So we know that the state has gotten redder as far as its population. Um, what is what is going to be interesting to look at is, you know, how, how does that play in this race? Because I will tell you, when I was looking at the returns the other night, what was very interesting, and, and the Lincoln project is going to be coming out with some information on this. What was very interesting is where the Democrats played and they played bigger than they have in the past. And one of the areas that we see that is in rural North Florida. I mean, kind of at the bend of Florida where you're looking at Dixie County and you're looking at Citrus County, you're looking all the way up to Hamilton County, which is a red stronghold. And we saw Democrats outperforming there. That in ways that they haven't. We saw that there were definitely places throughout the state where when you compare congressional races or you compare the 
agricultural commissioner's race, um, where you are seeing that, you know, the Democrats actually outperformed Republicans in some pretty red areas. So that is interesting to look at. It's interesting to think about is that, you know, maybe the rhetoric has gone too far. And while conservatives will always be conservative, they are not necessarily hate mongers. And they I think a lot of people do not want to have that reflection on them. And so you're seeing that, you know, in, in parts of the state, my part of the state over in the, in the far western Florida panhandle, you see that people are registered Republican who may not vote Republican. They are registered Republican because their area is very Republican. And in order for them to have a vote that counts at all, they have to be registered in that party to be, be able to vote in a primary. So I, I don't think I, I think that that Charlie has an uphill battle here, but I don't think that it is it's something that he cannot achieve. I think that I think that there is a path for Charlie Chris to win here. He just he's going to have to play to the moderates because DeSantis is not playing to the moderates. DeSantis is playing to his base and DeSantis is running for president where Charlie is running for governor. Sylvia in Miami. Hi Sylvia. Go ahead Sylvia. Okay, we've lost her. Uh, let's go back to you Ryan Wiggins. You know, um as we talk about DeSantis allegedly or potentially running for president, just as you and I are speaking, a heavily redacted affidavit has been released to the public into the recent FBI search of former President Donald Trump's home and club in South Florida, Mar-a-Lago. Um, you know, as we look ahead to the 2024 Republican primary, whether Donald Trump will run again, whether Ron DeSantis has a legitimate claim to that nomination. I know all of you over at the Lincoln Project are watching this very closely. Incredibly closely. We are watching all of this very closely. What is going to be interesting is there will come a time where Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump have to stop pretending they like each other because they will be competitors in the primary. And I think right now, the reason that Donald Trump wants to run for president is very different than the reason Ron DeSantis wants to run. I think Donald Trump wants to run because if he is a candidate, it makes it harder to pursue him legally. And it makes his fundraising easier. And we know that I mean, we know from the 1-6 hearings, he was using a lot of um, fundraising to pay off legal bills. And so we do know, we know that, that that is a thing. We know that Ron DeSantis is an incredibly ambitious governor who has political aspirations, wants to be the leader of the free world, and has a wife who wants him to be the fr- leader of the free world. I think she fashions herself as, you know, the next Jackie O um, on the Republican side. And so, I mean, I think that, yeah, we are watching this closely. We are waiting on bated breath for Trump to announce and to see how Ron DeSantis is going to tap dance around that. I think it's very interesting right now that it is in Donald Trump's, you know, it, 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 it is a good thing for him if Ron DeSantis does not win re-election as governor. So it's interesting bedfellows too, because Charlie Crist and Donald Trump both kind of want the same thing out of this election cycle. Um, the whole thing is fascinating. Florida is going to be the best Carl Heisen novel that has ever been written this election cycle. It's not going to be boring, is it? Uh, not but, at all. <laughs> uh, there, yeah, there is a lot at stake. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, this heavily redacted affidavit just dropped as we're live on the air. We haven't had a chance to go through it yet. We'll try to uh, talk about that in just a few more minutes. But I want to thank you, Ryan Wiggins, political strategist with the Lincoln Project. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on, Melissa. We'll be right back. This is the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Oh, what's that beachfront property you say? Nice. Climate change, though? But, you know, the idea of just taking the entire oceanfront and moving it, you know, upstream to a, to a high point just doesn't make sense to me. I'm Kai Rizdal, managed retreat in Montauk next time on Marketplace. Tonight at 6, here on WJCT News 89.9. This is Ari Shapiro, host of All Things Considered. By the time you turn on our show in the afternoon, you've probably seen headlines, maybe you've read a tweet, you might have heard a newscast. So we want to tell you more than just what's happening. We want to give you reasons why things are happening, the context around what's happening. We want to tell you something that will stick with you while you're driving home or making dinner. 
All Things Considered, listen every afternoon. Starting at 4 on WJCT News 89.9. On the next Fresh Air, Colson Whitehead tells us about his latest novel, Harlem Shuffle, a crime novel set in the early 60s about small and big-time crooks. He's a two-time Pulitzer Prize winner for his previous novels, The Nickel Boys and The Underground Railroad, which was adapted into a Peabody Award-winning TV series. Join us. Today at 1 on WJCT News 89.9. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can visit 125 stores throughout Florida or shop online at abcfws.com. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. Thanks for listening. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. We're continuing the conversation now about the Florida midterms and the road ahead with Mary Ellen Kloss, Capitol Bureau Chief at the Miami Herald, and Matt Dixon of Politico. Hi to you both. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Good to speak with you both. Mary Ellen Kloss, let's begin with you. You know, earlier in the show, we heard Governor Ron DeSantis say he's proud of his pandemic response. He called Charlie Crist a lockdowner. Here's the governor the other day uh, making comments about Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease expert. I'm just sick of seeing him. I know he says he's going to retire. Someone needs to grab that little elf and chuck him across the Potomac. Mary Ellen Kloss, that comment uh, got a huge response from a conservative audience. Is this the kind of rhetoric uh, that could also cause the governor some blowback in the upcoming election? You know, uh, I think it's pretty clear that they're, they use this rhetoric with intention. Um, I don't think there really is many accidental comments that come out of this governor at all, ever. Um, and so uh, I think that they realize that this is exactly the kind of thing that their base wants to hear. And you heard the response. People cheered it. Um, you know, it's it's one of those nuances of tone that um, does it aggravate people? Well, people see politicians saying things all the time they don't like. Um, so, you know, I think we're going to just continue to see more of this because it's quite obvious they think it, it's working. You know, Matt Dixon, Politico, uh, Governor DeSantis endorsed a number of candidates around the state, particularly school board candidates affiliated with the conservative group Moms for Liberty. Uh, some of them won. Charlie Crist is banking on the notion that Florida is still a swing state, that he can win swing voters over to his column. We heard a strategist Ryan Wiggins earlier in the show say Democrats outperformed this uh, primary season in conservative areas. It, is Florida, it, though, still a swing state? It, I, I think it's I think this uh, election cycle is going to be instructive, but I, I think we might have to wait till 2024. Presidential election cycles are bigger sort of turnout elections. So I think the, the definitive question to the, the definitive answer to that question might not come this year, but we can certainly get glimpses. I mean, while Democrats did overperform in some some Republican or, or writer areas of the state, overall the the electorate was about five percent more Republican. It was a, it was a redder electorate, uh, which you would expect during the midterms. So I think Democrats are going to have an uphill climb. Um, you know, it can certainly be done. This is Florida. You know, in 2018, the last non-presidential cycle, almost every statewide uh, race went to a recount. That seems like a political lifetime ago so there was a mm. there's 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 a lot of time since since that period of time but it's hard to count anyone out in a state that performs as close as florida does but i do think the elect electorate without question is skewing red in a midterm that's that creates even more headwinds for democrats and as we watched that mary ellen Kloss, this literally just happened as we were going to air but a heavily redacted affidavit has been released to the public uh, giving us a little more information about the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago, former President Donald Trump's club and uh, residents in South Florida. Uh, I don't even know if you've had a chance to look at that yet, but it's certainly been anticipated. And I was wondering, 
What are your thoughts about how that's going to affect Florida politics? Uh, outrage on the right over the search and certainly from Democrats, uh, loud calls that the president should be held accountable for taking classified documents that didn't belong to him out of the White House. Uh, you know, I think this is something that is going to be with us for several more months. Um, and what does this mean for Florida politics? Well, I think as Ryan Wiggins and you're in the previous um, segment talked about, there is the dynamic between Ron DeSantis and um, Donald Trump in 2024. And that's where the context of this may have some relevance. Um, I haven't had a chance to look at the redacted. I just read some initial reports on them. Mm -hmm. We're getting a bigger, a better sense as to the context, um, the national, you know, when the National Archives originally sought this information. Um, it, it, it indicates that they wanted to have these redactions because there are other individuals who if their names or identities had been revealed in the in the affidavit, that might actually do them harm or um, cause them harm. So that is raising some questions about who else knew, who else is named, um, how wide this net is going to stretch, and um, what will that all mean for our former president and certainly his political um, future, you know, while he got uh, some added mileage because his base is definitely outraged by this this raid of, of Mar-a-Lago. Um, as details drip out, what is it going to make things harder on him? Matt Dixon. Yeah, well, I think we the day after the Mar-a-Lago search, which of course we everyone has reported was you know a warrant was approved by a judge and there was you know a legal process that took place. We interviewed several Republican based type voters in Florida and and outside of Florida because our our governor's footprint is is getting a bit bigger and it was the the intensity with which that search was greeted by Republicans was was kind of off the charts. We had talked to several that we had previously quoted as. I don't, I don't want to say leaving President Trump. They, they weren't anti-Trump by any means, but maybe, you know, not as intensely behind him as they had been in 2020 and, and the years before that. And they were right back with him. They, Republican base voters and, and conservatives are, are, you know, kind of very directly viewing this as sort of, you know, authoritarian oversteps. And, and uh, while I, I realize that's, there's there's a lot of nuance to what I just said there, I'm, I'm just trying to capture how Republican voters are viewing it. And how it's, they, it's how really, they see it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, let me let me, yeah, sure. let me just ju- let me just jump in. You are listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Lots of calls. Let's get one in. It's Mo in Jacksonville. Hi, Mo. Hey, good good afternoon, everyone. First of all, I want to give you guys credit. I think your uh, broadcasting has been pretty even even handed. Uh, Thank sometimes you. I think you, you kind of lean in, in a particular direction. Today's been pretty even handed. Um, we do our best. <laughs> I know you do. I think. All right, uh, go ahead. I think you're. I think we're on the stance as far as the uh, gubernatorial election. You know, I think that his handling of COVID is just seen as such a a positive and kind of he was pretty independent and and strong willed, and his handling of COVID is going to serve him well and is probably going to carry him to the to the finish line for the most part. Um, so I think that was my main. Uh, okay. Comment. I think that's right. good by, by putting Chris in the in the race and and uh, you know he's going to run a professional campaign obviously but um, I think the Santos is despite the fact that he's kind of leaning right and almost being a little bit combative more so than some moderate re- Republicans might like and they're kind of turned off by it I think he's still going to be be fine down the stretch. Thank you, Mo. Mary Ellen Claus. You know, that's just one issue out of many that we've been discussing here on the show, but it's certainly one that will come up between these two candidates. What are your thoughts about how people will assess that? Uh, well, I think that when it comes to, you know, the the approach between Charlie Crist and, and Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. I think he's exactly right that um, the DeSantis has, has just gained national acclaim for the way he has portrayed his handling of uh, the the COVID situation. You know, it he conveniently doesn't mention that he did close schools for several months in 2020, and he, he did issue broad stay-at-home orders 
restricting social gatherings and closing bars and, and that kind of thing. Um, but the bulk of his time was to back Donald Trump and keep the state open. And in many ways, you know, Florida was kind of the example, but it was just louder than other, the, the governor was louder than other places. Charlie Chris just doesn't have a way to go to counter that argument. Um, his argument, I think, is going to be one on, as he as he talked to you about, things like cost of living and housing and, and some of these um, in the weeds, you know, pocketbook issues that that really are slamming people hard. But of course, DeSantis's comeback is going to blame the the president for the inflationary situation we're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Matt Dixon. If inflation has really started to drop by November, can can those messages gain traction? Well, I, I think it's going to be sort of a head versus heart argument. Uh, Democrats, I think Mary Ellen's totally right, have been focused on pocketbook issues and inflation uh, at top of mind, uh, the, the price of housing. So those are sort of appealing to people's minds, their pocketbooks. But then Governor DeSantis, and he does, he has, he's pretty good at tapping into this sort of a, a emotion in, in the heart. And he'll come back with a fiery speech about lockdowns and, and tossing Fauci across the Potomac. And then it sort of takes all the oxygen out of the room, gets him a bunch of headlines, and it, he's become sort of very, very good at that. So I think that's going to be the, the difficulty for Democrats. If, if inflation is coming down, which, which it appears to be, if gas prices are coming down, which they appear to be, those could be really good messages for Democrats. But making sure they have the sort of resources and the way to make sure that enough people hear that, I think is probably going to be a real challenge. Always great. We're we're out of time. I'm so sorry. I I love your insights, both of you, and I hate to to stop the conversation, but unfortunately we have to. So uh, thank you, Mary Ellen Kloss and Matt Dixon for joining us so much. Thank you. And thanks, guys. That's our show. The Florida Roundup produced by WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville and WLRN Public Media in Miami. Heather Schatz and Natu Tway are show producers. Catherine Hobbs is associate producer. Peter Meritz is WLRN's director of radio operations and technical director with engineering help from Doug Peterson, Charles Michaels, and Isabella De Silva. Richard Ives answers the phones. Theme music by Aaron Lebos. I'm Melissa Ross. Thanks so much for listening to the Florida Roundup. Have a great weekend. We'll be back next Friday at noon. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can shop any of ABC's 125 Florida stores and get curbside service through abcfws.com.